Well, good morning, Northlands Church. I hope you're doing well. Uh, if it's your very first Sunday here, another special welcome to you. Thanks for being here. Um, as Nathan said, my name is Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here at Northlands and so glad that you're with us. We'd love to grab a cup of coffee with you if you have time in the front lobby after the service. Coffee's on us uh, and just wanna be able to hear more of your story and what brings you through the doors, but we are glad that you are here. Um, as Nathan uh, alluded, we've got uh, Greg and Michelle Haswell. They are our lead pastors here at Northlands. They are in Uganda with one of our elders, Ryan Schmidt. Uh, they are gonna be uh, ministering this upcoming week. So they're actually not there yet. Greg and Michelle are in South Africa. Uh, they were ministering uh, Saturday, I believe, with a leadership team there that they have partnership with. And then this morning they were preaching at another church preparing for Uganda. And here's the good news. We've been um, preparing for about 680, 700 pastors or so. Word um, from Greg recently is that we'll have 800 pastors there in Uganda that we'll be ministering to, as well as 2,000 more pastors that will be uh, joining via Zoom. Uh, so what we thought was about 650, the Lord is continuing to make a way and we're reaching about 2,800 pastors who are overseeing yeah. churches. Yeah, it's amazing. Greg talked about this last week. Your prayers, my prayers, they, they do incredible work and those prayers are absolutely working. He is making a way for the gospel to go forward in that nation. We're just grateful to be partnering with the Holy Spirit in this. Now, uh, we're in the middle of a series called Midnight Oil. Uh, this is a series about the person and work in the way of the Holy Spirit. That's not unusual for us here at Northlands. If you've been with us for any number of years, we have series on a regular basis about the Holy Spirit. What's unique about this series though is that uh, it actually came from uh, a prophetic word uh, that as an eldership team we've been praying about for the last several months. We felt like the Lord was uh, whispering to us, Northlands, and really I think even the Big C Church uh, around the world, Northlands, this is a season for collecting oil. Uh, now, I don't know your background in church. I'm not sure if you're familiar with prophetic words or how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Uh, but, but every time we have a, a series around the Holy Spirit or a prophetic word like this, uh, I, I wanna do my best uh, to put the, the cookies on the bottom shelf so everybody gets one. You know what I mean? Like in the sense of, I wanna talk about Holy Spirit. And if you're not familiar with the relationship with the Holy Spirit, I, wanna, I want us to better understand his ways. But specifically today, I wanna take that word, a season for collecting oil. What does that mean, not just for us as a body, what does it mean for you in your life? On Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, when you're at work or in the soccer field, what does it mean for you to collect oil and why does it matter? What's the point of this word? And so um, here's where I'll begin. I was, um, I was 20 years old or so, just moved to Atlanta from the coast of North Carolina, uh, was building a network, building community. My wife and I, we were dating at the time, uh, and one of our mutual friends was an artist, and she invited us to come to an art gallery show where she, her pieces would be premiered uh, at this gallery. So I'm excited. I'm from the coast. I've never been to an art show. I have no idea what to expect. Uh, so I walk into an art gallery, and if you've never been to a show like this, let me just explain. Uh, there's three types of people that come to these shows. Number one, uh, there's the artists. Uh, we obviously know that they're gonna be showing our pieces. Number two, there's just friends who wanna come and support a friend selling their art. And then number three, there's the people who are like in the art scene. Like you know who I'm talking about. They're, they're like, they're wearing these like massive scarves and, and beanies and they've got like the big like frame glasses and they've got the hoop earrings and the pearl necklaces and they've got like those like platforms or heels and they've got like the leather bags and uh, that's just what the guys are wearing. I don't even have time to explain what the girls are wearing. Like, sorry, Greg's gone. I can make some jokes, it's fine. So I'm at this art gallery and these people are on the art scene and they're just sitting there they're like stirring their box wine, like looking at the art. And they're just like saying things like hoity-toity and like talking about the influence of the artist, what their childhood must have been like as they're painting strokes. And I'm just like, 
I go to Home Depot for my paint. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> just gather around. I feel completely out of place. And the more, I t- the more I walk around the room, the more I realize just how out of place I am. At one point, I, I go down a corridor in the gallery. Uh, I've seen all my friends' pieces. They're great. I kind of understand a little bit about them because she's explained them to me. But then I go down this hall where other artists are, and I come across this piece of art that I don't even know what to do with. I, I mean, I kind of do. Here, here's the piece of art. Here's what it was. Like, and you're like, oh, Tyler's setting up a joke. This is not a joke. This is not a drill. This is what I saw. And I'm not talking about like, like, and I get this artist because I've also been there where like the project is due and you're like, you're just like looking in your, you're like looking in your car for something to like throw up on the wall. Be like, I hope the teacher just keeps walking. Like just, I'm not even saying it was on canvas. I'm saying they literally took a piece of notebook paper. They didn't even have the decency to remove the hole punches at the top, like to clean it up a little bit. They throw this up there and I'm like, I do not know what I'm doing here. This is where it's not even crazy yet. Then I look down below the, the, the picture, this picture, and I see this tag. I, I'm not even telling a joke. This, is, this, I was here, this was serious. I'm calling my friends. I'm like, do you see this? A grown adult made this. And then a grown adult has the audacity. I like went back out to the gallery. I was like, does it say con artist? What is going on here? Like, it is amazing to me. That's not even when it gets crazy. Then I see underneath the price tag this. Someone bought that joker. A grown person made this. Another grown person priced it. And some sucker bought it. This is, yeah, yeah. That, that's a stimulus check. Like, just like right there. Like, someone's like, you know what? Instead of bills, I'm going to just go buy a piece of paper. Like, the more and more I'm wandering around this gallery, the more and more there's a conversation going on, and the more and more I'm aware, I have no idea what's happening. Have you, have you ever been in a space like this? Have you ever been like, like just don't say anything, because the more you talk, the more apparent it becomes, you do not fit in here. <laughs> you ever been there? I, I have found that most people begin here when it comes to the Holy Spirit. It's not that they're against the Holy Spirit, it's not that they, they, they see the supernatural. I mean, after all, uh, the, the Bible talks about Jesus who died, was buried, was dead for three days, and was resurrected. So it's not the supernatural that throws us off. It's just the fact that when, when the Holy Spirit's moving, perhaps in a meeting like this, people are going, I'm not really sure what to do with this. I'm not really sure how I'm supposed to respond. I don't quite understand. And, and I, I've had friends who have, who have explored this. I've been here before when I first started walking with the Holy Spirit. I just don't wanna embarrass myself like at the gallery. The more I say something, the more I feel like, okay, I, I clearly don't know what's happening. Other people are experiencing it. Other people are having a conversation, but I'm not quite connecting the dots. Or, or, or in some cases, people who have maybe grown up in the church and, and, and anytime the Holy Spirit's mentioned or gifts are mentioned, it's kind of just like pushed aside, don't talk about it. And, and part of it is just this point of going, because we don't wanna believe lies. We don't wanna be manipulated. We certainly don't wanna be the sucker who, who bought into this. And so we're going, well, what's, is this biblical? Is this unbiblical? What is true? And so, so today, here's, here's my goal for us. I, I don't know what your background is, but here's my hope. I believe with all of my heart, the Holy Spirit wants to give you something. Not, not, not just us, he wants to give you something. And so it's my heart and my hope to, to help normalize and personalize your relationship with the Holy Spirit so that you can receive. The worst thing that could happen is if you're walking around this, this gallery, this meeting, and you're going, it feels like other people are receiving, but I don't get it. I wanna break that barrier down. 
Because I believe with all my heart that, that the Holy Spirit is a massive part of your relationship and your faith in Jesus. Here's why your relationship with the Holy Spirit matters so much. Because if we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit not as some side hustle, not as some uh, side conversation that, hey, if you don't get it, if it's, not, if it's not for you, if it makes you uncomfortable, you can just kind of push it aside. No, no, but Jesus, the way he talked about the Holy Spirit, it was a vital part, a central part of the Christian faith. In, in Luke chapter 24, verses 47 to 49, Jesus gives his disciples, us, Jesus followers, anybody here who's committed to following the way of Jesus, he said that you're called to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. That's the, that's the foundation of our faith as it pertains to being an, an apprentice of the way of Jesus, to be his witness, to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. But he tells his disciples in chapter 24 of Luke, verses 47 to 49, he says, do not go and fulfill that command until you have received power from on high, this promised spirit. In other words, Jesus says, you are called to be my disciples and to do what I command, but in order to obey my command, you must be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. This was not a small thing for Jesus. Jesus is saying, if you're going to preach the message of God without the power of God, that's no gospel. And so your relationship with the Holy Spirit matters if you are going to be a follower of the way of Jesus. There, there was this, um, this study in 2009 by Barna Research Group, and that it was uh, 1,871 adults. They were surveyed and asked a series of questions, one of them being, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, do you believe that he is a living entity? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit is a person? 20% of the adults in that study said that they somewhat agree with that statement. 38% of those adults said that they strongly agreed with that statement, which left 9% of the adults uh, somewhat unsure or disagreeing with that statement. It left 25% strongly disagreeing that the Holy Spirit was a living entity. And that left another 9% who were just completely unsure. In other words, the study concludes 43% of the adults asked in a church environment, Christians in the church, have no idea what to do with the Holy Spirit. That is not including the other 20% who are somewhat sure of the statement. A 43 to 63% swing in, in the church body of believers who are missing a vital component of the Christian faith in following Jesus. That is tragic to me. Because, because uh, I, 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 this, is, this is, at the end of the day, Jesus is coming was not just about giving you salvation when you die. It was also about empowering you while you live. I like how Dallas Willard, the theologian, said, if you ever have a weak point, just quote Dallas Willard, it's awesome. Uh, Dallas Willard said this way, that the heart of Jesus for you and for me was not just to get you into heaven, but to get heaven in you. That one, one focus of Jesus' mission was about our salvation. It was bringing you to the Father, but he's not just interested in what happens to you when you die. He's interested in the here and now. You have been called to have a life and a life that is full and overflowing. So as we talk about the midnight oil and being filled by the Holy Spirit, this is the heart of Jesus for everyone who says, I wanna follow him. It is so imperative that we are not a part of the 43%. This is why we need to talk about the Holy Spirit and have series like this to talk about his ways and how he speaks to us.
Now, one of the ways that the Holy Spirit speaks to us is he speaks to us through metaphors. I absolutely believe with all my heart that the scriptures, he speaks through the scriptures, this is the foundation of our faith. He will never speak in a way that is contradicting to what is in his word, and yet he speaks to us in a hundred infinite other types of ways. Think about this, the presidential election, uh, the last presidential election, President Biden and former President Trump, they spent $5 billion to get your attention and my attention, $5 billion. How much more, for for a four-year seat, how much more do you think your Father in heaven wants to pull out all the stops and spend to get your attention? He's absolutely gonna speak to you in the scriptures, but he's gonna speak to you in a number of other ways, and one of those ways is that he speaks to us through metaphor. He says, why, why does he speak through metaphor? Because God is trying to help you understand eternal truths. How does the infinite God of the universe, who's outside of time and space, communicate in such a way about his eternal realities to people who are stuck inside of time and space. He speaks to us by any means necessary and with the things that we can understand. At Northland, we call this using the furnishings of your mind. And so, so what ends up happening here, this is, what, this, is what, this is for free, as Greg would say. The God who cannot be fully known because he's too deep and too vast, he wants to be fully known by you. We will spend all of eternity trying to figure out God. And just when we think that we've been walking with him long enough and we go, I think I've got him figured out, he will just turn, show us a different perspective of ourselves. And like Paul, who is well into his ministry when he said it, he says, oh man, then I would know you more. We will never fully know God and yet he will spend all of your days and my days unfolding his majesty because he wants to be fully known by you. And, and so, so when we talk about God speaking to us, like in metaphors, he says, hey, I'm God, I'm God the Father. You know how the love of a father is to be, whether you had a good father or a bad father, you know what you desire in your heart to have a good dad. I'm a good dad who will never fail you. I love you like that. He wants you to understand his deep eternal love and he's using a thing like fathers to help explain it to you. Jesus said, I am like a bridegroom and the church is my bride. Why? Because we know what a groom and a bride are. We know what marriage is. We know how they make a covenant together. And he goes, hey, if you wanna understand the relationship that I have with the church, I want you to know I'll never divorce you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You understand this because you know what a bride and a groom are. And the Holy Spirit, he is constantly speaking to you and to me about him and his ways. And he says, hey, I want you to know the the Holy Spirit's saying, he is like fire. He is like water. He is like wind. He is like oil. And so Greg's brought this up over the last two weeks. We need to know what is oil used for? Because the Holy Spirit's going, I want you to know me more. I want you to know who I am. I, know, I want you to know what I want to do for you. And so he goes, I'm like oil. And you know what oil's like. Greg talked about this a few weeks ago. Oil does six things. Number one, it cons- it's a consecration. It's illumination. It's filling. It's empowering. It's healing. And it's teaching. In other words, the Holy Spirit's whispering to some of us, are you ashamed from your past? Do you feel dirty sometimes when you think about the things that you've experienced and gone through? The Holy Spirit's saying, I'm like an oil and I will make you holy. I will make you whole and pure. The Holy Spirit's saying, are you unclear about your life and about your purpose? I want you to know I'm like oil. I will illuminate your path so that you have clarity. Are you broken? Are you sick? Are you hurting? I want you to know I'm like an oil that heals your wounds. Do you need, are you concerned about the lies of this life? I want you to know I'm the teacher who will lead and guide you into all truth. 
The Holy Spirit's saying, I am an anointing oil, and this is what I wanna do in your life. Let's connect. And so, so what I wanna do is I wanna take that, that, that word, uh, this is a season of collecting oil. And I wanna go, what does that exactly mean for us? What is it that we are called to do with that word? How do we apply a word? It sounds a little poetic, we're not really sure, but again, the Holy Spirit is speaking through us from a metaphor, a phrase, is going, hey, I want you to know this is a season for you to be collecting oil. How do we practically apply that as a church and as individuals? And that's why I want us to be in 2 Kings chapter four, uh, verses one to seven. We're just gonna read a small uh, account. And, and here's what I wanna do, just a, a quick overview of this letter. If you're not familiar with uh, Kings, it's, it's split up into two books, 1 Kings and 2 Kings, but in reality, it's just one big book called Kings. It was written by a prophet named Jeremiah. He, he was an, an author who, who wrote several books in the scriptures and he wrote this book. He's known as the Weeping Prophet. And today we'll talk about why he's considered the Weeping uh, Prophet. Uh, but here's what's going on. It's important for us to know as we read in chapter four, verses one to seven, what's happening in the state of the nation of Israel and just how dark it is. Uh, so this nation, obviously like other nations, they have kings now. They had Saul, David, and Solomon. But when Solomon ended his ministry and ended his, uh, his kingship, he was not a very good man. He reinstituted slavery that the Israelites hadn't seen since Egypt. He was a, a bit of a taskmaster do, master doing these projects. And he died in a sense just like the Pharaoh of Egypt. He died uh, in a very harsh reality. Now his son Rehoboam became the king and he was even worse than Solomon at the end of his life. He, he was a harsh, harsh man. And so because of his harshness, a revolution st uh, took place inside Israel. Israel. Another leader named Jeroboam kind of stepped up in front of Rehoboam and they split the nation in two. So we have in, in one side of the nation, we have Israel, which is where Jeroboam is occupying. It's in the north. And, and, and uh, the capital of Israel, which is what he was overseeing, was Samaria. In the south, Rehoboam took over Judah. And Judah was, the capital of Judah at that time was Jerusalem. And so this is why when Jesus comes and he starts talking about Samaritans and Jews, there's literally a civil war breaking out in this nation. And this is for about 40 kings worth of history. 20 in the south, 20 in the north, and the just, if you're a civilian, if you're a citizen in the nation, it is just turmoil nonstop. Now, in the nation, there was this group of men uh, called prophets, and they would constantly be prophesying messages from God. Their job was to be a messenger uh, to, uh, to the people on behalf of God, and they acted as kind of the conscience of society. They were constantly really going after three main things. They were telling people, uh, worship God and God alone, cast down every idol and follow the law. And anytime a king failed to lead the nation there, they would, they would just rail against the king. Prophets were not celebrated, they were seen as the wet blanket. To give context, out of 40 kings in the history, if you use this as the measuring marker for what makes a good king, worshiping God alone, destroying idols, and following the law, only eight kings in, in Israel's history were considered good kings after Solomon. All of those kings were in the south. Now, why do I bring that up? Because in chapter four, we're gonna read an account of a prophet named Elisha and his encounter with a widow woman, and they are in the north. So I'm just trying to paint a landscape for you. Could you imagine being this widow and you're in a horrible, horrible situation of corruption, injustice. There's no good leader. They're all leading astray. This worshiping idol led to human sacrificing. This was not a good time to be alive. In fact, the widow, her husband was a prophet, so I can guarantee she was not celebrated in the north. 
Um, and so there's just this hostility against prophets. There's this hostility against God. It's dark. It's, it's just completely depraved. There's nothing good. It's absolutely hopeless. And then we zoom into chapter four and Elisha, who was one of the prophets in the north, has an encounter with this widow woman. And that's what I want us to read. Are you guys still with me? Yeah. All right. Chapter four. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And as I just described, this is a widow woman. Her husband's gone. In that culture, in that time, if you were a woman, you already had a strike against you. If your husband's gone, you have no protection, you have no provision. She has two sons. They're about to be taken away from her. Can you imagine, parents, if your kids are gonna be lost and you're in poverty, but not only that, they're going into slavery? This is the state of the woman. As Elisha asks, what is it that she needs? She needs a lot. And so she responds with this. Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. And in commentaries that I've read, a jar, it's a, it's a flask, maybe not too much bigger than that. This is all she has in this world. Everything else is being taken from her. And remember, the Holy Spirit says, I'm like oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, Elisha, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on the rest. I don't know what kind of student you were in school. Here's the kind of student that I was in school. Excuse me, professor. Is this gonna be on the exam? Any other students like that ask that, ask that question? No? Just me, I'm up here all by myself, it's fine. Why do we ask such a question? Because we're going, hey, you're talking about a bunch of stuff. Does it actually matter? <laughs> Is this relevant for me? You're saying that there's an exam on Friday, 75% of our grade, and you're talking to me about some stuff. Does it actually matter? Here's why I bring this up. I can feel the woman's plight, and at the same time, I don't know who she is, I don't know about her life, but we are reading a book of kings in history, and I'm going, What's the point of her story? What, could you imagine if I'm giving you an exam, it's US history, I'm going, remember the presidents, remember key events, remember the dates, and you're just combing through, exams coming, I still have nightmares like this, even though I'm out of school, exams are coming, and then all of a sudden you get to chapter four as you're cramming, and we're gonna talk about a, a woman in the backwoods of West Virginia who has no name, no possessions, she does nothing to shape the nation, she does nothing at all to help the story move along, Jeremiah is writing about the dark history of the nation and his job and responsibility is he believes that there's a doomsday coming where they're gonna be exiled by the Assyrians and he is prophesying, if you don't repent, as prophets did, if you don't repent, we are going into exile. He's literally trying to convince people who keep rejecting him to repent and change so that a doomsday doesn't come and he decides to take his time and go, hey, let me tell you about this woman. Cool story. 
Why is her story here? Unless, unless the book of Kings is not about the history of Israel and it's not about kings and prophets. Even chapter four, it's not about Elisha and his ministry. I argue it's not even about a widow and her sons. What if this is a story and an account that is from God, Holy Spirit inspired, given to Jeremiah, about God and his ways and the way that he operates with people and a whisper about his kingdom and how his kingdom works because God wants to fully be known by you and me, the reader. Can you imagine the dark state that this woman is living in? Can you imagine losing everything, having nothing, and even more threats coming your way? Could you imagine the author, Jeremiah, as he is literally weeping over the pages, going, there's a doomsday coming, I know it, the Lord knows it, but nobody is listening to me. And he's recording this dark history. He is trying to plead for his life. He ends up going into exile with these people. His life is on the line as he knows it. It's completely dark and the whole nation, the whole government, this woman's life is in the midnight hour. Matt, let's, let's give context of what that might feel like. Can you imagine everywhere you look, you can't see anything. There's no hope, you're lost, without hope and without God. And Jeremiah weeps over the pages of history as he writes. But then as Jeremiah is writing, he doesn't understand it, but it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. He hears the whisper from the Lord saying, Jeremiah, tell them about the widow. And all of a sudden, nothing big, nothing major, doesn't change the course of history, but we read a story about hope about restoration. Isn't this how the kingdom of heaven is? Didn't Jesus say it's, it's like a small bit of yeast that works itself out in a big ball of dough until it's completely saturated? Didn't Jesus say the kingdom of heaven, it's like a small mustard seed. You don't need a lot to change and restore your life. You just need a small mustard seed in order to see breakthrough. Didn't Jesus say, if you wanna see the kingdom of heaven, Come to me like a little child. Didn't God use the broken, the weak, the down and out, not the great, not the great kings of old. Didn't he use people like Abram and Sarah? Didn't he use people like Gideon who was a coward and make him a judge? Didn't he use a little shepherd boy and make him a great king? Didn't he use uh, uh, Esther and Ruth, foreigners in their country to, to change their lives and to change the lives of the people that they love? Didn't he himself come as a small, little baby in a manger in the middle of the night? Could it be that he comes also as a small widow in the middle of darkness? Jesus said, I am the light, and I don't care how great the darkness is. I don't know your story, and I don't know if you relate to the widow's story, but what I do know is that a light shines in the darkness, and darkness will not overcome. Matt, we can get the lights back on. I wanna help us understand the invitation for you and for me to collect oil in this season. I don't know your story, but what I know is that the Holy Spirit will speak to us about the things that we can't understand to help us better understand a deeper truth that he is trying to convey. 
As we, as we hear the story of this widow, we understand injustice. We understand corruption. We understand failing governments. We understand when the world is just cruel and is broken. We understand poverty. We understand pain. We understand loss. We understand war. We can resonate with this widow's plight. And he is whispering, hey, are you feeling lost? Are you feeling like you have a space in your life that is without hope? I want you to know that the big problems you're facing are not requiring big solutions, but a little bit of oil. Not by power or by might, but by his spirit. This is how you overcome. So the question is, how do we collect oil? How do you and I, on a, in a practical way, how do we collect oil in our life? I believe this, that we collect and what we collect reveals what we put our confidence in. What is it that you're putting your trust in? Where is it that you find your hope? These are the things that you and I are collecting. Some people, they collect resources and money and wealth because they believe if they collect enough of it, they will have security. And I have found that there's been moments where my money will not solve that problem of insecurity. Some people believe that if I just collect enough power, then I can control my life and potentially control the lives of the people around me so that I can have a very clear and sustained future. Some people believe that if they collect enough influence and affluence and gain enough followerships, if I collect enough of that, I'll have meaning in my life. Some people believe if I collect enough gifting and enough talent, if I'm just a little bit better, if I just try a little bit harder, if I'm just a little bit more moral, then I'll be considered a good person. What are you collecting? You know what I found was that in 2020 to 2021, everybody was collecting something. This isn't a new message. I like how my wife said it though. There is nothing that clarifies more than crisis. And if I can be vulnerable as a, as a pastor, let me just tell you very plainly, I was caught on my heels in 2020 and it became very apparent of what I had collected in my life. And I, like I'm sure you, have storms in your life. And have you found that the things that you are collecting, you have to ask yourself, can they be taken away from you and will they actually solve your problems? As sure as the sun sets, a midnight hour will come. And what you spend your time collecting will be poured out. The question is, is when the midnight hour persists, is what you collect good enough? Where do you find your confidence? Where do you find your hope? Not by your power or by your might, but by the Spirit of God. This is the message that he has for us. He's asking you, are we gonna repeat the cycle again? When the midnight hour comes, what are you gonna be filling in your vessels? And so I wanna just make this as clear as I possibly can. Consider the things that are going on in your life. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Are you empty? This is a sign that you're seeing your vessel. How's your marriage doing? Would you describe it as overflowing and full or empty? How's your relationship with your kids, full or empty? How's your finances, your career? Here's what I love about this woman's story. Literally every category of her life is rocked. No finances, no provision, no protection, no husband, no kids, losing everything. 
So it gives us an invitation. Pick a category. What in your life is empty? That is your vessel. So come tomorrow, come Tuesday or Wednesday, when you're in that business meeting, when you're on the soccer field with your kids and you feel that emptiness, you're feeling you're, you're scratching the bottom of the barrel. You're going, I, I need something here. The question is, are you gonna collect more of what you've already had and tried? Or are you going to accept the invitation? Holy Spirit, would you come and do what only you can do to fix this? Anybody here in the last year, you have resources, you have some control, you have a great career, all those things, and yet you're facing problems and nothing you do is good enough. No amount of time and energy is gonna fix the problem. It's dark, it's hopeless, it's empty. There's another option and another alternative. It's the oil of God. It will heal you, it will save you, it'll illuminate your path, It'll lead and guide you into all truth. It'll do what no other man or woman can do for you, including yourself. It will fill your life. I love the fact that when the woman's last vessel was completely and totally filled to the brim, that's when the oil stopped. The promise of the Lord for you as you're collecting oil is, I will not stop until every single one of your vessels is filled. The woman had nothing except she heard from the Holy Spirit because he speaks today. She obeyed his instructions and her way extended her faith. And she surrounded her life with empty vessels. And she waited for the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit could do. And I'm asking you for the same. What is your empty vessel? I cannot give my life to services, meetings, and programs. I hope you didn't come just to be a part of a meeting. Every single one of us came in with an empty vessel or empty vessels. Do not leave here with empty vessels. Are you, really, are you really gonna go back to this life and experience only half of what God has for you? Are you really going to live a life where you're just scraping the bottom of barrels? There's an invitation for you today to come and receive what no man can give you. And so if you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower, I'm telling you, there's a beginning point for you. Come to him. He said, all who are hungry, all who are thirsty, all who are empty, all who are dry, all who are sick, all who have been rejected, all who are lost in the dark, all who are hopeless, come to me and find life overflowing. Do not leave here with an empty vessel. And so I've got two questions for you because I, I want us to do something that's in the scriptures. James chapter five, verses uh, 14 and 15, it says this. If we can go to James chapter five. It says, is anyone among you sick? Just a few verses uh, earlier. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed a sin, he will be forgiven. I'm gonna ask the elders of this church to come to the front. And I want us to be prayed over and anointed by our elders with oil. They're gonna have little vials of oil like this. 
They're just going to pray a quick prayer over you. They're not gonna ask any questions. They just wanna bless you. They wanna command sickness to leave your body or any brokenness that is in your life. And they want to ask the Holy Spirit to fill your vessels. And you might say, hey, Tyler, this is a little weird for me. I don't know what this means. The oil is a metaphor. As close as that oil is, as you can feel it on your forehead, that is as close as the Holy Spirit is saying, I am with you. And I want to heal your life. I'm not asking, do you think that this is strange or weird? What I am asking you are these two things. Do you have any faith at all? Any faith. A man came to Jesus with a sick son and he said to Jesus, I believe that you can heal, but would you please help my unbelief? I'm not even asking, do you have any unbelief? I'm saying, come with your unbelief and if you have a small mustard seed of faith, that is enough. And then the second thing I'm going to ask you is, do you have an empty vessel? And if you say yes to those two things, I have a little faith and I have an empty vessel, do not leave here without being anointed by our elders and receiving an infilling of the Holy Spirit. Are you really going to leave with empty vessels? Do not miss this opportunity. I've asked, I've asked the team just to minister to us, to remind us that it is not by our power or by might, but by the Spirit of God. And I believe that our team here is gonna pray and bless. I'm gonna ask the elders to come up now, just line up the rows practically. If you would make your way to the outside aisles, and then after you've received prayer, just come to the center aisle and find your seats. We're not done with the service, but I want you to come and receive something of blessing, of rebuking sickness, and to receive an infilling of the Holy Spirit. Do not wait, would you come and do that now? Spirit. 
Holy Spirit, even as we continue to minister, we thank you for your promises that you are here to fill and to restore and to redeem, to bring back that which is lost. Lord, I thank you for these things and I'm asking, would you just bring testimonies of your goodness in our lives? Show us what it means to collect oil in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. As, yeah, amen. I, I, As we close out today, we're gonna, we're gonna finish up here at the front, but our ministry team is gonna come out as we close. And if you need prayer for anything else or a little bit more in depth, we didn't have a lot of time to spend uh, during the service, but we don't want you to leave without uh, prayer and ministry of any kind. So we believe that the Holy Spirit speaks to us about our lives and our circumstances. Our team uh, spent time praying before the service about our lives. And uh, these are called words of knowledge. There's gonna be some, some words that come on the, um, on the back behind me here. It could be a phrase or a single word that is perhaps describing the circumstances you are facing. If there's any word that you resonate with at all, uh, I'm just gonna ask you, again, extend your faith and come to the front. I believe that the Lord wants to continue in ministry with you. Thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, if it's your very first time, I wanna meet you. If today in the meeting you extended your faith for the very first time and said, Jesus, I wanna make you Lord and Savior of my life, or you have questions about that, uh, I'm gonna be in the front lobby with some of the leaders. I'd love to talk with you. Please don't leave here uh, without connecting. We have some uh, a Bible for you and some gifts that will just help you on your journey as you begin your walk with Jesus. Uh, but again, Northland Church, I'm so grateful for you. Thank you so much for extending your faith. If any testimonies come up out of this time, you brought your empty vessels. If any vessels begin to get filled, would you reach out to us and share those testimonies? And here's why. Because your testimony, just like this widow's story, gave you faith to extend here now to fill your vessel. I'm telling you, as you tell your story, faith will rise and your story might help somebody else come forward with their empty vessel to have it filled. Your story of breakthrough, it matters and it can change the life of other people. So if you have any stories like that, please email me either at tyler at northlandschurch.com or admin at northlandschurch.com. We'll get those stories, we'll connect with you and we we'll wanna talk about how we can share those stories so that others might receive and be filled. But with that, Northlands, have a fantastic rest of your week and we will see you next Sunday.